It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Oh, it's that time again for another Smart Money Questions Podcast. Walter Storholt here with you alongside Matt Hausman, the founder of Old Security Group, with an office in Westchester, PA, Newark, Delaware, but serving clients all across the country as well. Find us online at smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, this summer is supposed to be relaxing and not a whole lot going on, but as we record this podcast, things still just feel like they never slowed down. They're in full swing, and I'm excited to be able to talk to you again today because we've got a good topic on the way. Before we dive into all of that, how are things going with you? They're going good. Now, let me ask you, are you saying it's been feeling busy because, you know, we did a podcast quite a while ago where we talked about how you were able to negotiate a price for a new purchase on a home. <laughs> Could it mean that you've actually moved into this new home? You've actually closed and you're in the process of getting there. That may be skewing my feeling of being overwhelmed. Yes. <laughs> As we record, I've just finished essentially five days of nonstop moving. And now we're in that phase of working and then unpacking still in the evenings, but no longer the nonstop sun up to sundown and then some, you know, constant moving and U-hauling and organizing and installing and all the stuff that goes along with it. So tonight's project is set up the washer and dryer because that's going to become needed very quickly. Um, <laughs> There's like now That's one exactly one project right. per night is kind of now what we're like, okay, I got to accomplish one thing each night. And like, even if it's just one box gets unpacked, like every night we've got to make some sort of small progress. And tonight's washer yeah, and dryer. You're to make headway, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. It, and it sounds like you were waiting on someone to complete their project the other day and they didn't even show up. No, we were supposed to get internet installed the day after closing. And they did actually call to confirm the appointment in the morning and then never showed up the entire day. And then I called when it got close to the end of that, you know, install window. And they were like, oh, yeah, they're still coming. I said, okay, great. And then we got about 45 minutes past the install window, and I called again. And they said, oh, the scheduling department is closed now. Let me see if I can figure out what's going to happen. Hmm. No, I can't quite tell. You're still listed as on the work order. But, yeah, he should have been there already. Hmm. Okay. Tell you what, I'm going to put in a request for this. And here's what he tells me. We're now at like 545 on a Friday. He says, someone will be calling you back between zero and two hours from now to give you an update on the install. So I'm like, you're telling me I've got to wait around here till potentially 745 PM just to get a call that still may say we are not coming today. And he was like, yeah, I'm sorry, that's, oh that's the best I can do. And now I just gave up. I said, no one's coming. I left. And we went out and did other business. But guess what? No one ever called. Not in the zero to two hour window. The next day, I was going to call, but we had so many other things going on because we moved in and the air conditioning uh, wasn't working in the, the attached garage office portion of the house. So that was a whole other issue. But yeah, so we go, you know, we're doing some stuff the next morning. And before I could even call, oh, because it's a business account we were trying to get installed. Scheduling department's only open Monday through Friday. So there really was nobody I could even talk to. But luckily, some random guy just shows up on Saturday and is like, hey, I'm here to install your internet. <laughs> oh, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> but we at least got it installed. But it was just like, what a non-professional way to go about this. 
unfortunately, we hear that all the time, don't we? Yeah. With regards to that phone and or cable and or internet install, or quite frankly, service work, that seems to be pretty common, even up here in the Philly regional area. You're down there in North Carolina. I know friends in Florida have dealt with it. It doesn't really matter. So apparently that business model really needs to be analyzed and fixed. <laughs> I, I will say this, uh, you know, there aren't there many companies out there, so you can probably figure out which one I'm talking about, or maybe they're all the same, depending on what region you're in. But I will say this, I've had always, and this is so funny because I don't use their service now in any capacity. I had it in the old house, but now I won't be using it in any capacity. AT&T's products, in my opinion, They've been fantastic. Great customer service, logical people to talk to, reasonable when you go to cancel or make a change that they don't hit you with a bunch of hidden fees. And they're very just honest, straightforward. Their customer service people don't ask you 17,000 meaningless questions when you're just trying to get like tech support. And then they want to sell you a whole bunch of stuff. Now, they still try and sell you some stuff when you're on with the sales department. But like when it's this true tech support issue, they just get right to the matter. And at the end of the conversation, you know what my pet peeves is, Matt? When you're like, okay, thanks. I appreciate your help today. Just to have them say, you bet. Have a good one. See ya. Boom. Bye. Let me get on to the next thing instead of like the other approach of like, okay, now are there some other things that I can help you with today? Remember, you're going to get a call later that's going to ask you to describe your service. Now, on behalf of all of us here at time, you know, blah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we want to tell you. I will say this, at and I've really enjoyed all of the experiences that I've had with them. They were not the ones doing the install at the new house, but there's an unsolicited pitch for their services. I've always had good experiences there. You know, I've had cell service with them. Good night. 14 years now. Let's put it this way. I had it back up here. It used to be called Singular. Okay. And then AT&T Bottom. And we've been with them ever since. And I would say their cell service is kind of the same process. They've always been very easy to deal with. Yeah. I can remember a couple years ago going in and talking when the new unlimited plans were coming out. And, you know, with the age of our kids, I'm always on them because we had a limit. And if you went over the limit, boom, it wasn't just AT&T, everyone, they start nailing mm-hmm. you. And the guy just was letting me know, listen, this is where your average data use is. Yeah, you've had a couple months that are above. He goes, but it's going to raise your price this much just to be able to go there. Long story short, we changed it just a couple of months ago because our average was climbing. But it was nice for him to be able to say, hey, listen, I don't know that I do it yet. Just stay on your kids. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, not just, you know, they could sell you because they can, but they didn't, you know. Right. Well, I've never used their cell service, but I've used so far, I've had experience with Dish Network, DirecTV, and formerly Time Warner Cable, you know, now Spectrum, I guess. I'll never use Dish Network ever again. DirecTV was awesome when we had them. We're a cable cutters at this point. So, okay. you know, that was one thing that we were like, you know what, we need to lessen the amount we're spending on TV. But when we had it, they had tremendous service. And we've experienced the same thing with their internet service as well. They were really good. All right. Well, congrats anyway, on getting in that new go. home. Hopefully <laughs> you get a project done at night. So, you know, hopefully in a couple of weeks now that truly becomes like the home you wrote about in the letter. There you go. It may take a few years. It'll only okay. take a few weeks or a few months to get settled, but it'll take a few years to probably truly knock out all of the things that it needs done. We'll have to see. Depends on how many of those projects I hire out <laughs> and, and, and how much I tackle on my own, I suppose, because it could happen all very quickly if we hire them out. But. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, good luck with that. that thank you. Sure. Thank you. I'll give you updates from time to time. I don't know if anybody cares to hear about it, but we'll give you home updates, adventures and, you know, new home ownership right. from Walter and Matt. So anyway. Well, good deal. Actually, kind of segued, even though we sort of, that came up randomly here, Matt, kind of actually a good segue to our topic today. If you looked at the headline, you know that we're going to be talking about sales pitches versus planning and how to tell the difference. We were talking about the sales pitches you sometimes get, you know, over the phone with these internet or cable companies that just keep trying to sell you more and more products. Like, I'm canceling your service. Well, how about this product? Would you like this as well? No, I don't want it. What about in the financial world? Where do we see some of these sales pitches getting kind of thrown at us and how can we tell the difference between that and somebody who's maybe truly looking out for our best interests, really looking at financial planning. Really important to recognize the difference in an advisor who's truly implementing a planning process and one who's just giving you that sales pitch. Can you give us some kind of basic or you know some starting signs, Matt, that an advisor might be more focused on selling than planning? Well, you know, one thing would be I can think of a couple individuals that do a lot of internet advertising, local and even large firms, is when it sounds like their messaging is gearing towards one particular type of product. Or you sit down with, quote, an advisor, a financial person, what have you, and they are instantly going to product. And they're not really talking and hearing what the client is wanting, what their goals are and stuff like that. They're just going right to product recommendations really early. And the other thing I would tell you from a planning perspective versus just a selling or a seller, if you will, is if they're not gathering extensive information on the individual and they're really, they're just maybe a couple pages here and there and that's it. And then boom, they're right into the process. And, you know, I think that if you're looking at a planner, a planner should be looking at really all aspects of your financial life. So all of the different accounts, you know, also looking at property and casualty insurance, understanding, do you have multiple real estate holdings, looking at life insurance, really looking at everything. And then that way that person can sit back and say, okay, how are all these pieces currently fitting together for this individual? to then go to the next step versus if we don't gather a lot of information, we might only, I remember someone coming in the office about six months ago and they had met with one of these big, large firms that is always, their marketing is attacking one particular financial instrument constantly. To his credit, he's done a great job on doing that. But when this person met with that advisor, they were only there to talk about one aspect of their financial life. Only hmm. one. In fact, they only wanted to take over one account. That was it. Just one. And so just one. For me, when I heard that, I have to admit I was rather shocked for this institution to only want to go after that. But it became clear to this person that this is not a planner. This is just a salesman. And they're selling the service that this particular institution provides, and that's it. So gathering all the information and having a review of all of the information, I think, is one thing that would differentiate between a, quote, salesperson and what a planner is going to have the ability to look at. The other thing is, I believe, pointing out only, say, just the things that are bad that this individual has instead of looking at everything or instead of, you know, commenting on, well, this over here, yeah, that I can see where that would make sense. 
but then that also can go back to the idea of are they gathering enough information from the client to understand not only their financial picture, but then what are their goals and desires for the money? You know, we always are talking about purpose of money. I believe if a planner doesn't understand what your purpose is, then how can they advise you? When we think about that, right? It makes sense. If they don't understand what you're wanting to do, how can they truly advise? You know, it's your money and you want it to accomplish what your purpose is for that money. So I think that's also a critical area that you can differentiate between someone just selling something and what a true planner would look at. Some of those things might stand out easily. Others might be a little bit more nuanced, but it certainly gives you some things to peel your eyes back for. Maybe it's helpful, Matt, to look at what your process, you know, is built to create, you know, the environment, the goals that you set out to accomplish when you work with somebody new. Can you maybe give us a behind the scenes peek at your planning process? You know, how do you start it? What's the road look like? What's your finishing goal? Really put us in the seat. Take us from the moment somebody walks through your door for the first time. What do they then expect that process to look like? Well, let me back up and let me give you something that we put together about 10 years ago okay, and what it really was the idea of what our culture is here. Cause many people, if they've been in the office, if you're clients or if you've been in and you've met with me and I kind of joke about it, but I'm dead serious. And that is, you know, I don't sell anything. I'm here to educate first and foremost. So even from the very beginning of our various marketing efforts, quite frankly, even this podcast, is we're always looking to educate and never have an appearance of selling. In other words, I'm there to educate and maybe have the individual think about things in a different light. No pun intended, smart money questions. Start getting you to ask questions. I always comment after the different workshops that we do on various subjects is you probably came in with three, five, maybe seven questions. If you left with 25, I did my job. Right. Because the idea is I've got you thinking whether you ever come back and talk to me or not. I created where you're starting to ask the questions that maybe you never knew you were supposed to be asking. One of the people that refer a lot of clients to us, he always lets people know in advance now. Hey, listen, I want you to give Matt a call or give old security a call set a time up to meet with Matt. And I want to let you know something. The first time you meet with him, you're going to walk in. And if you walk out with 20 questions in your head, that's okay. It's a good sign. Because that's what he's going to do. <laughs> so it goes back to one of the things that we established literally about 10 years ago was what is going to be our branding and our marketing? How are we going to do that? How are we going to attract our prospects and then service our clients? And the first thing it says, I went through this process. I got this whole questionnaire that I was to fill out to help me get to the point of what our branding is going to be. And the first question was, what's our message? And my answer to that was financial education to enhance. That's my goal. And hopefully we're doing well with it. We're achieving it. But that's really the first step. That's even possibly before someone ever walks into our office. That's if they're listening to a podcast. Maybe they got a mailer we sent out. Maybe, like I said, maybe someone spoke and referred us to them. Or they came to a workshop that we did. Is financial education to enhance. Then the next step or the planning process would be it's a constant educational experience for them. To where I'm just, I hate to say it, I'm just the messenger initially 
to help them first understand what it is they have. It doesn't surprise me so many times when I've sat down with people and we start that process. I call it identifying or discovery. And we're going through all the different things that they have, you know, life insurance, investments, real estate, what have you. And I'm asking them questions. What's this? Why'd you do this? How do you view this fitting in? Do you understand how this works? And many times, you know, they're kind of sitting with a deer in the headlights because I remember this person came in at the first of the summer and I think we spoke about this on a podcast and my comment to him is, what do you want to get out of the meeting today? And he goes, I just want to figure out how to get people out of my pocket. Interesting comment. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I said, why don't you help me understand? Why would you say that? Well, they had four or five different advisors that had only acted in their opinion, those people or their interpretation, their perception was that they were advisors, but those people had only acted as salespeople, put them in the only product that they had available and then didn't explain to the client or the client didn't have a clear understanding as to how it worked and how it fit into the whole picture. And that's why he said that. So education is the constant us giving the information that's out there, hopefully being able to clear the fog out of the way that our industry, quite frankly, I think creates for this purpose of being just to sell more. And our goal is to remove that fog and make things more clear and then go through the planning process. Does anything need to be moved? In some cases, it doesn't. In some cases, it does. But then educate the client as to these are the opportunities that you have. You tell me which direction you want to go. And so that's much different, if you will, from a sales to an advisory capacity. You know, we think about sitting down with an attorney. We're going to describe to the attorney what it is we have, what our goals are, what it is we want to do. And then they're going to come back with their legal expertise as to exactly what's going to be the best legal way to handle those different situations. But even with an attorney, I've had people come in that they met with an attorney that just did quote, real estate, but they were talking to that attorney with estate issues and the attorney just wanted to quote, sell them something. Well, let's do this. Let's do a deed, blah, 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 and make a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars and boom, it's off the way. And the client is thinking or their perception was that they went to an attorney, but all attorneys aren't created equal. They all have different specialties, kind of like doctors or surgeons. And so that's kind of like, I believe what we're talking about here is being able to differentiate between just a salesperson and a true planning advisor. Hugely important to kind of navigate through these different waters appropriately. And it's so interesting to see the difference in the planning process between different advisors. Through all your years of experience, Matt, what's different about your process? How has it changed over time? Because you're not the same advisor that you were when you started out. Certainly your process is adjusted along that period of time as well, right? Well, initially I was a salesman. I mean, if we go back Ah, all the way to 1991. You were a sales pitcher, huh? I was a sales pitcher. That's all I was. I had my licenses and I worked for a company. We only had this at this particular time. We were marketing only health insurance to small business companies. Essentially, the health insurance laws were much different back then. And so if you had less than 25 employees, but more than five, you fell into a certain category to be able to, in some cases, take advantage of having like group type plans as if you had a hundred or more employees. And so that's all I was doing. I only had that. Mm -hmm. That was it. 
you know, versus today and, you know, changing licenses, getting different licenses that allow us to do more and being independent. Back then I was what was called captive where I could only do and sell what that company offered. Now being independent and really working for the client and what it is that they are wanting to accomplish. Now, that being said, I'm not all things to all people. You know, we have certain criteria as to the people that we believe we can help the best. And some of that has to do with the client agreeing with our investment philosophy. Some of that has to do with where the client is in life. In some cases, if a client is, uh, I'll give you an example. If a client is 35 years old and they're wanting to really get involved in cryptocurrency because in their mind, that's really where they believe everything is going. I'm not your guy. But a salesperson might now, would I have the resources to do that? Right now I would, you know. If somebody came to me and they felt like the world was coming to an end, so let's go buy gold, uh, that's not either what we do. But would I have the resources? Should I choose to to do that? Absolutely. I choose not to. So we also, when we look at what our messaging is, we go back to financial education to enhance and offering complete and holistic planning. We also have a model that allows us to serve a certain group that also adheres or believes in what we believe in, and we look to service those. And I don't have a problem going back again. I'm not here to sell anything. And I tell people, you know, for instance, if you're wanting to get involved in some of these alternatives, I'm not your person. I'm not your firm. And sometimes salespeople might not necessarily be willing to sell that. Does that make sense? Yeah, the salespeople aren't willing to sell true planning. It's not going to be the most efficient thing for them to do. Again, operating in their best interest, not so much in your best interest. So kind of to put a bow on the conversation here then, Matt, what's unique about your process? How do you make sure what you've learned over time, how you've adjusted, how do you make sure you stay away from sales pitches and make sure that you're leaning toward that education side, toward that true planning side? And what is someone likely to experience in your office that they probably won't with another advisor? How do you help make your process stand out? That's a great question. I'll tell you what many of my clients have come back and told me as to why they decided to join our firm. They've made the comment that I'm willing to take the time to walk them through the process to help them understand. And it's okay to take that time and to listen to them and make sure that I'm hearing what it is they're saying so then we can accomplish what it is they're wanting to accomplish. You know, I had someone tell me this 10 years ago, and I'll always remember it, is I was sitting down with a couple and their CPA, and we were going over some different planning. And in this particular case, it was the husband that was doing a lot of the talking, and I would say a couple things, and the CPA would verify what I was saying was accurate. And we kind of got to the end, and the wife hadn't really said much. But I looked over at her, and I said, is there anything that I can answer for you or is there anything that you would like for me to go back over? And the only thing she said was, which I thought was awesome. And I've always remembered this. She goes, I want you to tell me what it is you think we want. And I was like, what? Okay. Yeah, that's a different and, question. Oh, I thought it was awesome. And I just sat back for a second. I was like, you know what? I haven't ever had anyone ask me that. And that's a great question. Let me tell you what 
I've heard you saying you guys want to accomplish. And then I went in and I explained what it was I thought they had been saying over the last couple of meetings. And she goes, yep, that's right. Okay, we can go forward. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of that quick. But her question at that particular time, and I always remember it. I remember the seriousness of it. It was the fact that I, you mentioned this the other day, I do take notes and I'm fortunate to have a very good memory on specifics. And I had written all that stuff down and it had been part of the process where I was able to articulate it back to her. And she was able to say, well, that's exactly what we said. Okay, let's go. And so I think that's something that we pride ourselves on. And I would think would be different than not to say other advisors don't out there and do the same thing. I hope they do. But I would definitely say that that's one of our strong points is being able to really listen to what the client is wanting to accomplish and then advise them accordingly to make that happen. Well, if you've gone through the planning process with someone else and then you realized at the end, you know, this wasn't a planning process. I was just being delivered a sales pitch. You can tell a lot of the times if it doesn't sound like somebody's, you know, really zeroing in on what you're trying to get to, the crux of the problem, your pain points. They're not trying to solve your pain points. They're not even trying to learn what your pain points are. They're just trying to immediately pigeonhole you into a solution. Maybe it's a tired example at this point, Matt. And I think I've even heard you talk about this before, but it's like going to the doctor and, you know, they just start giving you, okay, well, you're just going to need this prescription. And it's like, whoa, 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 I haven't even gotten done telling you everything that's wrong with me. It's again that (laughs) same mentality, you know. I know we could probably go on and on about, you know, okay, well, people are hypochondriacs these days. They always think, you know, something's wrong with them. But, But truly, a situation where you're trying to tell something that's ailing you and they immediately try and start telling you what it is. And it's like, okay, here's a perfect example. I'll end it on this story. Since we started talking about, you know, internet companies and this kind of thing, this is fantastic. So in our business, you know, working in radio and media and podcasting and that kind of thing, we were having this issue where only half of the internet was working for us in the office. Okay, so I'm talking like I'd go to our local news site and it wouldn't work. But then I might go to CNN.com and it would work. But then I'd go to Fox News and it would not work. And then I might go to your website, Smart Money Questions, and it wouldn't work. But I'd go to a financial advisor in, you know, let's call it Trinidad, and (laughs) it would work. (laughs) And so it was like, okay, there's no rhyme or reason to what's working, what's not working. And I call in to tell the problem to, you know, the internet company, like something weird is going on with the internet. Why are only half of the websites we go to working? And I kid you not, the explanation was probably because you're visiting the websites too often and they think you're trying to hack the website because you go to the pages too frequently. Therefore, they're blocking you from their site. Wow. I was I was left dumbfounded and I just went straight to like, I need to speak to a manager. I clearly know that this is not the solution. I've got to go to someone else. Please, please put me in touch with someone else. That's not a correct answer here. And so again, it was just like there were no further questions asked. There was no further like, you know, okay, tell me about the website. Like he could have easily found out. Okay, well, here's a website that you've never been to before. Let's see if it works there. You know, we could have done an experiment. We could have done a little bit more investigation. Nope, just went straight to what ended up being a very silly explanation for the problem. Turned out the router was just a bad router, and then we needed a new router replaced. That's what the solution was. It wasn't that we were visiting websites too many times. 
So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that correlates exactly, but it just popped into my mind as being one of those things of like, if you had just taken an extra moment to listen, think, maybe experiment a little bit or, or kind of find out a little bit more about the situation and the root cause behind it, we could have reached a logical you know, decision and gotten me taken care of better instead of me having to call back later to try and get another representative and that kind of thing. So. I like that. I like, you know, <laughs> anyway, it, it, that's it's the story. Asking additional questions. You ask, know, it's ask, asking, asking smart questions. That's right. And in this case, you know, smart money questions. Right. And recognizing, as we were talking about earlier, the idea of coming in with four or five, six questions and then walking out with 20 mm-hmm. is because initially, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know what we were supposed to be asking. And then continuing to kind of dive down, get deeper and deeper into the questions that we're asking, or don't just get satisfied with the first answer. Oh, so you went to smartmoneyquestions.com and that didn't work. And then you went to Trinidad Planning Company and it did. Hmm. Not asking a follow-up question. Right. You know, I was at a conference the first of May and actually it was on understanding from a planning perspective. And this guy's, his presentation was titled always ask the follow-up question don't just wait for the answer to one Mm -hmm. i was like man that is brilliant yep always be asking the follow-up question dig Uh, a little deeper just dig right yeah Mm -hmm. look for that in an advisor one who's willing to dig into your situation a little bit if they're not digging then that's a problem and so there you go if you want to uh take the matt hausman challenge if you think you have all of your (laughs) questions answered about retirement about your financial future you don't have a lot of questions Come in, have a quick meeting, connect via Skype if you're not in the Pennsylvania, Delaware area. Connect via Skype or whatever. So what do you use? Zoom, right? You're a Zoomer. Isn't that Zoom. Right? Zoom. Yeah, we use Zoom. Or join me. Join, join me. Okay. A couple of options, right? You know, join via the internet. Have a conversation and see if you leave with more questions in your head, with more smart money questions to ask. That really should be the goal. You don't have to leave with all the answers. You should leave with more questions. That means you're on the right track of starting to you know, drill down to what's really important about your financial situation. A couple of ways you can reach out to Matt if you've got questions about your situation. 610-719-3003 is the number. That's a 610 area code 719-3003. And always online at smartmoneyquestions.com. Go to the site read the blog, check out past episodes of the podcast, watch some videos, and get in touch with the team there as well. Smartmoneyquestions.com, again, is your place to go. Matt, anyone who's listened to our podcast for any period of time knows I'm a very positive person. I feel like I've really hammered into a particular internet company on today's show. (laughs) I apologize if I went a little too far across the line. I usually don't like to upset the apple cart too much, but... I think I'm just tired. So for our clients, I'm tired from moving. Carolina, yeah. For our clients down there in North Carolina, you probably know who he's talking about, but just act like you know, act like it never happened. And and little did we know that you know you've got like 30 clients who are all employees of this company I'm talking about, and they're going to now be really upset with you. Um, my apologies. I just had a long weekend. That's all. Uh, thanks for letting me vent a little, Matt. I appreciate it. Using, you bet. Using, congrats on the new home. Oh, no. It, it's been great. In all seriousness, it's been fantastic and should be a lot of fun in the future. But this was really helpful. Make sure you know the difference between a sales pitch and the planning process. It's really important. Matt, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Sounds good. And we'll see you all next week on Smart Money Questions. 